Joshua chapter number 7. Glad you came out this morning. I'm glad this isn't any harder to turn on or we'd all be in trouble. <laughs> you think it'd be easy, it's one button, and half the time I don't even turn it on, amen. Joshua chapter 7. <laughs> now, some people by nature are exorbitant, exorbitant uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Exuberant in their exhortation. Uh, me, not so much. I have to have a uh, microphone to be loud. Um, I found out being a substitute teacher that it's because I have such a silvery, soft voice, those kids love to run right all over you. Like, oh. And then I put the dad voice on and... And they really hate me. Aren't you glad you're saved this morning? Amen. Amen. What a good time in service so far. I believe the Lord's been meeting with us. Joshua chapter 7, and once you find your spot, I'll have you stand. We've been preaching through the book of Joshua. Here we come to yet another very familiar passage. Joshua chapter 7, I'll begin reading here. You can stretch or do jumping jacks or whatever you want to do here. The Bible says here in verse 1, But the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. And Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Bethaven, on the east side of Bethel, and spake unto them, saying, Go up and view the country. And the men went up and viewed Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said unto him, Let not all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and smite Ai, and make not all the people to labor thither, for they are but few. So, thither went up, uh, so there went up thither of the people about three thousand men, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai smote of them, about thirty and six men, for they chased them from before the gate even unto Shebarim, and smote them into the going down, wherefore the hearts of the people melted and became as water. And Joshua rent his clothes and fell to the earth upon his face before the ark of the Lord until the eventide. He and the elders of Israel put dust upon their heads, and Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, Wherefore hast thou brought this people over Jordan to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites, to destroy us? Would to God we had been content and dwelt on the other side, Jordan. O Lord, what shall I say when Israel turneth their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land shall hear of it, and shall environ us round and cut off our name from the earth. And what wilt thou do unto thy great name? He's basically saying, Lord, your name is mud because of what just happened. Verse 10 says, And the Lord said unto Joshua, Get thee up. Wherefore li-, That's how I read it. You might read it different. I just see you like, get up. Get thee up. Wherefore thou liest thou upon thy face? Israel hath sinned, 
And they have also transgressed my covenant which I commanded them, for they have even taken of the accursed thing and have also stolen and dissembled also, and they have put it even among their own stuff. Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies, because they were accursed. Neither will I be with you any more, except you destroy the accursed from among you. Aren't you glad you live in the New Testament under grace? Or like I said, you couldn't go from here to Walmart without stepping over a pile of dead bodies. I mean, there's no, uh, there's no such thing as I will never leave thee nor forsake thee right there, is there? He's like, I'm done with y'all. <laughs> All right, I'm going to read, not preach. All right, 13. Up, sanctify the people and say, sanctify yourselves against tomorrow. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, there is an accursed thing in the midst of thee, O Israel. Thou canst not stand before thine enemies until you take away the cursed thing from among you in the morning therefore ye shall be brought according to your tribes and it shall be that the tribe which the Lord, ta uh, Lord taketh shall come according to the families thereof and the family which the Lord shall take shall come by household and the household which the Lord shall take shall come man by man by the way that's a picture I believe of the judgment seat of Christ judgment seat of Christ all the families of heaven are going to be standing there and they're going to go alright the family of uh, Evans and then you know germ you're up <laughs> That's how it goes. And 15, and it shall be that he that is taken with the accursed thing shall be burnt with fire. He and all that he hath because he hath transgressed the covenant of the Lord because he hath wrought folly in Israel. So Joshua rose up early in the morning and brought Israel by their tribes. And the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought the family of Judah. And he took the family of the Zarhites. And he brought the family of the Zarhites man by man. And Zabdi was taken. And he brought his household man by man. And Achan the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah was taken. And Joshua said unto Achan, My son, give I pray thee glory to the Lord God of Israel, and make confession unto him. And tell me now what thou hast done, hide it not from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and thus and thus have I done. When I saw among the spoils a goodly, a goodly Babylonian garment and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight, then I coveted them and took them, and behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent and the silver under it. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran into the tent, and behold, it was hid in his tent and the silver under it. And they took them out of the midst of the tent and brought them unto Joshua and unto the children of Israel and laid them out before the Lord. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan the son of Zerah and the silver and the garment and the wedge of gold and his sons and his daughters and his oxen and his asses and his sheep and his tent and all that he had and they brought them unto the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why hast thou troubled us? The Lord shall trouble thee this day. And all Israel stoned him with stones and burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones unto this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger, whereof the name of that place was called the Valley of Achor, unto this day. Mm. With that in mind, I'd like to ask my dad if he'd uh, uh, ask, uh, uh, pray, pray for the preaching.
Amen. Amen. Thank you. you. May be seated. What a blessing it is to live under grace. As the one preacher said, or you'd be underground. Amen. Well, as we approach this chapter, the walls of Jericho have all come tumbling down. And uh, in a majestic and miraculous fashion, the children of Israel have ascended up into the city. No doubt when the walls fell, they used the walls as a ramp to run up and destroy the city. And they burn it with fire. And uh, Jericho has been destroyed, has been defeated, and dethroned. What a great passage that was last week we preached about. The next chapter here in chapter 7 brings us to a very familiar yet ominous historical account as in it actually happened. And this ominous account of the city of Ai would be Israel's first failure inside the promised land. Now listen, you and I are going to face failure, amen? And it's not a matter, it's not whether if, if you're going to fail, it's when you're going to fail. But the Bible said a wise man uh, falleth seven times, yet riseth again. Riseth yet again. Christian, you're going to fail. Hate to burst your bubble. You can do anything you want. Okay, but you're going to fail. And they're going to me- you know how they're going to measure you in this life? How you bounce off the bottom. Anybody all been to the bottom before? You can trust God on the bottom. My hand's in the air. I've been, I've been so far to the bottom, you had to look down to look up. And I'm telling you, you can trust God on the bottom. You can trust God when you got money. You can trust God when you're bankrupt. You can trust God when you got good health. You can trust God when you ain't got no health or sense at all. I'm telling you, you're going to fail in the Christian life. (laughs) Positive message. Positive hits FM here. (laughs) But when Achan sinned, as we read about, and took of the accursed thing, he not only hurt himself, but many others around him. So I want to preach a message that is very familiar to your line of thinking. When we get to this, no doubt, and I'll just title it what probably every preacher from here to the moon will title I'd like to preach a message entitled Sin in the Camp. Sin in the Camp. And this might clip close to the cotton or might chop your Johnson grass or whatever it is, but I believe it's what we need because I believe when we read this Bible that everything is for a reason. The timing's for a reason. The cadence is for a reason. The punctuation is for a reason. Just like when we go through some of them passages in the book of Numbers, and you'd be like, what in the world are you going to pull out of that? I believe the Lord has something for us. And even if we're more intimately familiar with how this thing plays out, I still want to preach a message called Sin in the Camp. And I believe when you, uh, when you sin, I don't believe we're in an Old Testament economy, Uh, But I believe when you sin, you hurt the body of Christ. You really do. I'll put it like this. If I'm the pastor and I'm going to, if I go in town and I mess around, you say, define mess. I'm not going to define. Just go mess around, do things I shouldn't do. Is it not going to hurt you? No, I'm pretty tough. Shut up. It's going to hurt you. It's going to hurt everybody in here. I don't know much about football. I mean, I, I, my coach is here from when I played in high school. I was on the line. I was never good enough to advance. I think that's a blessing, amen. Uh, had knee replacement after uh, 30-some years of uh, hurting my knee. But I know this, that if uh, the line, and I was a lineman, if I didn't do my job uh, in the backfield, had a little bit of trouble, didn't they? You see what I mean? I'm saying, listen, when you mess around as a child of God, yes, you're accountable to Jesus Christ yourself. Your fellowship depends upon you and Him alone. 
and you'll be judged at the judgment seat of Christ alone. But let me tell you what, the Bible says no man liveth or dieth unto himself. What you do here affects us. That's the long and short, that's the skinny of the messages they would say it. But I, want, I see some things throughout this chapter, and uh, when somebody sins, it has an effect on everybody around them. And throughout this chapter, there are some things that sin in the camp, it produces. It produces. And I want you to see them. And of course, you know me in like fashion. I just like to jump into things. I don't want to uh, tarry around too much with it. But look here, first of all, when there's sin in the camp, look at verse number 3. When there are sin in the camp, the first thing I see is reading this passage and trying to get what the Holy Spirit wants for us. And I believe it produces pride. It produces pride. And you'll find out in, uh, as you live your Christian life, if you are stuck in a sin or messing around with something, it'll make you proud. And it makes you proud, and then you sin more. And over time, if you don't get that thing right, what ends up happening is you become more bold in your sin. That's why there's a group out here, probably 90% of them are probably lost, but it's the LGBTQ crowd. And they are bold about what they do. And they're proud. And there's a lot of things to be proud of, and that ain't one of them. You see what I mean? But when there's sin in the camp, it produces pride. Look at verse 3. The Bible says, And they returned to Joshua and said unto him, Let not all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and smite Ai, and make not all the people to labor thither, for they are. But if you hold up, hold the phone here. I've been reading my passage here, and back in verse 2, And Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Bethaven on the east, side of Bethel and spake unto them, saying, Go up and view the country. Did he say, Come back and tell me what to do? He said, Go up and view the country. You're going to go look just like they did in Jericho. Come back and report. Give your report, private. And here they come back. You know, still got the victory on the back. And they're telling Joshua what to do. Oh, man, we got this in the back. See, it produces pride. You see that? There's sin in the camp. And that thing produces pride. Uh, the men were sent to view and report some. They turned into overconfident advisors overnight. Overconfident advisors overnight. Uh, this advice, uh, the way I see it, is disrespectful to who Joshua is. Joshua's a general. It'd be, like someone, uh, it'd be like someone coming up to King David and telling him how to fight a giant, and he'd never fought a giant day in his life, and here David, he's a giant killer. Well, you know, what you really need to do here is when you get down there in the valley, you know, you know I've seen this done on the hunting channel before. And, <laughs> you know, I've seen this done, you know, <clears throat> on the, you know, uh, list, lose it or list. What you need to do, and that fellow's never fought John, uh, Goliath a day in his life. He said that when there's sin in the camp, it makes you proud. And what they do is they, it's just downright disrespectful. Uh, not only that, but it's delusional. Who do they think they are? I mean, they've lost their mind somewhere between here and there. They thought because the Lord wrought a great victory through the leadership of General Joshua that they now could command the battlefield. Look what they're telling them to do in verse 3. And make not all the people to labor thither, for they are but few. Well, you're out of your mind. Well, it sounds like overconfidence, doesn't it? It's pride. It's pride. Then the Bible says in Proverbs 16 and 18, Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. I'll say it again. Pride goeth before what? Destruction. Everyone, a lot of people say, well, you know, pride goeth before a fall. That's not what the Bible says. Pride goeth before destruction. 
And what you see here, you see overconfidence. You see pride. Why? There is sin in the camp. Well, they didn't know. That might be so. But when there's sin in the camp, it affects people. And you see that spirit of pride well up. You say, well, that spirit of pride is, okay, Dr. So-and-so, I understand what you're saying. It could be from the the previous victories. And listen, when you have victories in your Christian life, you better watch it because the biggest defeats can, according to the Bible, come after the greatest victories. Because once you have that great victory, don't forget who gave you the victory. Don't forget who empowered you to have the victory. And don't forget, yes, it was uh, that you followed what the general wanted you to do and you're obedient and therefore the Lord followed His word like He always does and He gave you the victory, but it's not because you did it. But I see pride here, that thing pops up. Pride goeth before destruction and haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs 29, 23, another verse. Man's pride shall bring him low. A man's pride shall bring him low. Ain't that something? When there's sin in the camp, it produces pride. I see that right in the passage. I'll tell the story. Ronald Reagan was, uh, when he was governor in California, he was making a speech in Mexico City. He's a pretty good speech maker. Told some good, you know, Democrat jokes, so forth and so on. He really did. <clears throat> but anyway, see, he, he, he had finished speaking. He sat down, and, uh, and the, the applause was rather unenthusiastic. So he got nervous, right? He was a little embarrassed. And the speaker who followed him spoke in Spanish, which he didn't understand a word of it. He's governor of California, right? <laughs> but uh, the speaker who followed him spoke in Spanish, which, which he didn't understand. And uh, that speaker was being applauded every paragraph. Every paragraph, that speaker would be applauded. So, you know, to hide uh, Mr. Reagan's telling the story that I'm, I'm reading here. He said, to hide my embarrassment, I started clapping before everyone else and longer than anyone else until my ambassador leaned over and said, I wouldn't do that if I were you. He's interpreting your speech. <laughs> Man's pride will bring him low, won't it? He thought someone was giving a better speech than he was, and it was his own speech being interpreted. <laughs> I'll tell you what, when there's sin in the camp, it produces pride. It produces pride. And you see those individuals, they were sent to view the country. And the men come back, and they not only uh, they tell uh, Joshua what to do. And the crazy part is, you ready for this? Joshua listens to it. Joshua listens to it. Well, not only does it produce pride this morning, it produces faithlessness. Now, if you're going to alliterate the thing, that word for faithlessness, are you ready? It's perfidiousness, but nobody in here knows what in the world perfidiousness is, so it's faithlessness, all right? I try to alliterate things, but I look at that, I'm like, nobody knows what perfidiousness is. Maybe Mrs. Weaver knows what perfidiousness is, but not many people else do. But it produces faithlessness. Look at verse number 6. Verse number 6, the Bible says, And Joshua rent his clothes, and fell to the earth upon his face before the ark of the Lord until the eventide. He and the elders of Israel put dust upon their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God. He's whining and crying, singing the blues, ain't he? Wherefore hast thou at all brought this people over Jordan to deliver us into the head of the Amorites to destroy us? Would to God we have been content and dwelt on the other side Jordan? O Lord, what shall I say when Israel turneth their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land shall hear of it and shall environ us round and Cut off our name from the earth, and what wilt thou do unto thy great name? Well, it produces faithlessness. That renting of the clothes, you know what that is? That dust on the earth and falling on your face, that's all oriental gestures of death. 
That's a, that's a figure, that's a sign, that's an Eastern Oriental culture, that's a gesture of death. Now, by the way, this is the guy who is ready to take on the giants back in Numbers chapter 13 to 14. Now, don't get me wrong, the death of 36 men in the chapter which states that, that is a terrible thing, but this guy is a general. He's been through a couple battles now, and, uh, you know, 36 people, oh, that's a tragedy, that's a terrible thing, that's considered a massacre. But here this guy is ready to take on the giants, and he's tearing up his clothes now. Uh, this guy, he was, uh, he was Moses' right-hand man. He was ready to challenge the angel of the Lord back in Joshua chapter 5. You say, what are you saying? I'm saying when there's sin in the camp, it produces faithlessness. See how quick he's done? See how quick he's given up? See how quick he's on the ground? And uh, gloom, despair, and agony on me, deep, dark depression, excessive misery, all that. You see what I mean? He's done. You ever been there? You ever been done in your Christian life? You ever said, I've just, I've had it? I mean, I did what you said, and uh, you know, I read my Bible two days in a row, Lord, and it all still all fell apart. <laughs> I quit! <laughs> Lord, I was kind of hoping you get started. But it produces faithlessness. This is the guy, Moses' right hand, and he was the only man other than Caleb to get into the promised land that was over 20. I mean, uh, there were no nursing homes in the promised land. They didn't need them. But he's just like Elijah, isn't he? Over there in 1 Kings chapter 19. In 1 Kings chapter 19, when things don't work out like Elijah wanted him to, what does he do? He runs for his life. You say, why in the world does Elijah run for his life? Oh, it's because he was afraid of that woman, wasn't it? I don't think so at all. You know what happened? Israel didn't turn to God. I mean, Elijah had just taken 450 prophets of Baal, and you know what they say, turned them into a nonprofit organization, amen, slew them all down by the brook Kidron, killed 450. He was afraid of one big mouth woman with a crown on her head. Uh, no, he weren't. You know what he was? He was upset. He was discouraged. He was defeated. He was destroyed because the nation of Israel did not turn to God. Revival did not happen, even though the Lord answered Elijah by fire. And he's like, I'm out of here. I'm telling you, when there's sin in the camp, it produces faithlessness. Faithlessness. And Elijah was done in verse, chapter 19, verse 10. Elijah says, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Well, he sure was doing it, wasn't he? I bet the Lord was pleased as punch when he's up there throwing down the altars. I bet you the Lord was pleased as punch. He's knocking off the heads of those Baalite priests and restoring and rebuilding and refurbishing the altar, amen. And that's why the Lord answered it by fire. The Lord was pleased. A lot of times when you do what God wants you to do, things don't happen the way you want them to. And you get disgusted, you get discouraged, and you lose your faith. Now, you don't lose your salvation, obviously, but you, 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 you discover what faithlessness is. You quit, you give up. And many times that's because there's sin in the camp. Sin in the camp, it produces faithlessness. James calls it being men of like passion in James chapter 5, verse 17. That's how God speaks of his heroes. Every one of the, your heroes in the Bible has got a problem. David had a problem with his eyes. Samson had a problem with his eyes. 
Eve had a problem with her eyes. You see what I mean? Every hero in the Bible's got a problem. Paul had a problem with his eyes. See what I mean? All the heroes in the Bible, they all got problems. Elijah, probably one of the greatest preachers in the Old Testament. Here you go, he's ready to quit. You ever been there? I'm saying it just might be that there's sin in the camp. Sin in the camp. The fact is, Joshua here in this passage, verses 6 to 9, is just as backslidden here as the people of God, that got, uh, people in the wilderness that God killed. All those griping, murmuring Jews. Oh, we want this, we want that. You should have left us in Israel. Oh, would to God we were there. Would to God we wouldn't have left. Where's the leeks and where's the melons, you know? That's it. When you have sin in your camp, there is an inclination to faithlessness. If this doesn't fit you this morning, just say amen and pray for someone that it applies to. But think in your own Christian life sometimes when you lose faith, it's just because there's something hidden under your tent. In verse 8, Joshua says, O Lord, what shall I say when Israel turneth their backs before their enemies? Well, let me tell you what, there ain't nothing you can say. I mean, when everyone's turning around the other way, well, first of all, you listen to those knotheads you sent up there and you let them tell you what to do. They're not even a stinking private. They're a messenger. And you listen to somebody else. There was no prayer meeting. There was no, Lord, what do you think about this? There was no trying the spirits. And you only sent 3,000 men and 36 of them got knocked off. And let me tell you what, when Paul gives the armor in uh, the book of Ephesians chapter 6, there's nothing for the back. The breastplate, the helmet, the sword, it's all forward. Listen, Christian, the Christian battle is a forward attack. You have no business retreating as a Christian. You say, yeah, just deal with it. Don't retreat. That's why this, I know I'm going to get in trouble here. These churches and these outfits, oh, we're going to go on a retreat. Why would I retreat? Okay, now it's semantics, maybe a little bit so. And stop beating me up, but you've got no business retreating as a Christian. It's forward. There's nothing for your back. You say, why? God's got your back. But if you turn your back on God, you're wide open. Many times, sin in the camp, faithlessness will pop up. Faithlessness pops up. In the Christian life, it's a forward assault. Retreat should never be an option for the believer in Jesus Christ. Are we doing all right this morning? I'm just preaching a little gentle message about sin in the camp. A little sugar stick, amen. Man, I'll tell you what, preaching 15 years ago from a real Bible-believing preacher would blow everybody out the stinking windows. I'm a pussycat when it comes to that stuff. Look at this number three here. Uh, not only does it produce... Pride, allow me the use of my alliteration, it produces perfidiousness or faithlessness. See, you learned a word today. Just say, oh, I learned a word in church today. I learned what perfidious means, faithless. But number three, it produces the proper thing at the improper time. The proper thing at the improper time. Look at verse 10. And the Lord said unto Joshua, get thee up. You say, what do you say that for? It wasn't time to pray. It's time to move. It was time to pray. It was not time to move. I want you to notice how subtle the devil really is. You say, what are you, gonna, what are you, what are you really saying? I'm saying when there's sin in the camp, there is a tendency for you to start doing the right thing at the wrong time. 
And here Joshua, he's hollering and a squalling and a bawling, and, and he's, oh, you know, all that stuff, and he's down on his face. You know what the Lord says? He didn't say, oh, I'm just so, so glad you're having a prayer. He says, get up! It ain't time to pray! That's how subtle the devil is. You know what the devil do? He'll get you praying when you should be uh, moving. The devil gets you moving when you should be praying. That's how subtle the devil is. And it takes spiritual discernment to tell when it is to do the right thing. He'll get you doing the right thing at the wrong time when there's sin in the camp. Is it time to pray? All right. Then don't be working. Is it time to work? Then don't be praying. Well, that's ridiculous. Is it? Is it time to read your Bible? Well, then don't be watching Netflix. Is it time for you to come apart and rest? Well, then don't take that time and read your Bible. Oh, don't be super spiritual on me. You need to learn to do the right thing at the right time. And if you struggle with that concept, maybe it's because you have a guilty conscience and you haven't been doing what God wants you to do. But then what you'll find yourself doing, if there's sin in the camp, you'll start doing the right thing at the wrong time. You'll say, well, you know, I need to pray about it. No, the Lord expects you to move now. Well, how do you know? It takes spiritual discernment. Spiritual discernment, it takes you, I have enough guts to get in that book and study that thing and spend some time in it so the Lord can bear witness to what you're doing. And it's with the right thing at the wrong time. Is it time to pray? Then pray. All right, if it's time to do something else, then don't be praying. Is it time to go to church? Then go to church. Don't spend time playing around with your family or feathering your hobbies or showing off your liberties in Jesus Christ. Oh, that went over right out the window. Right out the window it went. I'll go get that later. It's in the front yard somewhere. <clears throat> you say, but preacher, uh, I'd come... But spending time with my family is a blessing. Amen, is it not? There is nothing more that I like better than spending time with my family. Right? But you know what? It is always easy to do things that which are a blessing. It is always easier to do things that are considered right. But you know what you have to ask yourself as a Christian? What is my duty to do? What should I be doing right now? I'm trying to put it on you because we often justify ourselves to do this, this, or this when our duty should be to do that. And when there's sin in the camp, what the, what the devil do, he'll get you to do the right thing at the wrong time. Now you need to think about that one. Well, I sure enjoy doing this and I sure enjoy working and sure do enjoy that overtime when I can get it. Okay, does the Lord want you to do that or does he want you to focus on school? Well, you know, I know I should be, okay, well, then what are you doing? Well, there's nothing wrong with that. I didn't say there was anything wrong. You see what I mean? There's nothing wrong with what I'm doing. Oh, it's a blessing. I'm sure it is. But what's your, what should you be doing? And see, that takes you getting along with the Lord and figuring out what in the world am I supposed to be doing with my time? Where am I supposed to be? The Bible says, let every man be fully persuaded in his own. Well, there's nothing wrong. I didn't say there was anything wrong with what you're doing. That's why the devil gets you doing the wrong thing or the right thing at the wrong time. Just might be a little bit of sin in the camp. It produces pride, perfidiousness. It produces the proper thing at the improper time. But let me give you this one and we'll be done. It produces perilous problems for innocent people. 
perilous problems for innocent people. Look at verse 11. The Bible says, Israel hath sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have even taken of the accursed thing, and have also stolen and dissembled also, and they have put it even among their own stuff. You see how that thing, you know how the Lord words that thing? I understand this is Old Testament. I'm not trying to reconstructure your doctrine here. But notice that it's, it's a federal thing. It's a corporate thing. The entire nation of Israel suffered because of one idiot. One man's sin. And then the Bible says, by one man's sin entered into the world. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sin. There's your correlation there. But what happens is, is when there's sin in the camp, it produces perilous problems for innocent people. The first peril is the 36 men that die in verse 5. You see that? 36 men. Bible says in verse 5, And the men of Ai smote of them about 30 and 6 men. I want you to, I want you to see this. When you sin, you create problems for other people. For the wages of sin is death. For the wages of sin is death. For the wages of sin is death. You're not only hurting yourself, but you're going to hurt other people. Maybe not in an Old Testament fashion, amen? But here the first peril is the 36 men that get taken out. Notice this. This 3,000 men that go after Ai, I can guarantee they volunteered. Let not all the men go, for they are but few. So here you have 3,000 men. They are probably spiritually high as a kite. Can I say that? We all right? Y'all tell worse jokes during the week anyways. They're spiritually high as a kite. They're coming off a huge victory, and the walls of Jericho have come tumbling down, and they have got a taste of blood on their sword, Christian. And if you fight this Christian warfare, some of you are going to get spiritual blood on that sword, and you're going to get a taste for it. And they are ready to go. They are in love with the nation of Israel. They are in love with God the Father. They are thankful that they're doing what they should be doing. And guess what? Here they go. And 36 men get it right in the neck because of one man. You see the first peril? There it is. Innocent people. Innocent people. 36 men. You say, why? Because one man had to have it his way. You see it? He had to have it now. Here's the thing. In the first 10 chapters of Joshua, there are 10 cities. 10 massive cities. Now, this would be by far the smallest one. 10 massive cities. And you know what the Lord said? I just want the first one. That's all I want. You can have the rest. And so the next nine cities, they're allowed to plunder. They're allowed to spoil. They're allowed to take whatever they come to, the spoils of war. They're allowed to take it all. The Lord just said, and this one, this one's mine. I get the gold and the silver. You destroy everything. What is it? Ten? One out of ten is what? It's a tithe. <laughs> Isn't that cool? I got excited. Y'all did. <laughs> I'm like, oh, it's a tithe. That's so cool. And the Lord gets it. So when you take what belongs to God, if you're an Old Testament Jew, then you go over to Malachi chapter 3, verse 8, and you have, if you're an Old Testament Jew in the Old Testament, you have robbed God. 36 men had to die because one man took what belonged to God. You see it? Perilous problems. The first perils of 36 men of Israel that die. 36 families lost a son. I want you to think about it. Personalize it. 36 families lost a son. 36 families lost a husband. 36 families lost daddy. 
innocent men, men on fire for God, men in love with God. Can you imagine those 36 men meeting the Lord? Like, dude, what happened? I mean, here we are. And the Lord said, yeah, you know, that guy, he's an idiot. So you're just up with me sooner. You ever stop and think of that? I don't know how you read your Bible. Like, yeah, we got it. And all of a sudden, hi, Lord. He's like, hey, how you been? Actually, they're down in Abraham's bosom. But anyway, wrong dispensation there. <laughs> the first peril is the 36. How about this one? The further peril, look at verse 24. The further peril are the sons, daughters, and all the possessions that Achan had. They were stoned and burnt. All of Achan's family perished, wiped out. You say, why? Isn't that a bit much? Because he had to have it now. He had to have it here. He couldn't wait. That's the further peril. An entire family in Israel is blotted out under heaven, never to be heard from again. I bet you that was a little bit awkward at family reunion. Okay, you know, you bring the bacon and that and all that stuff. And uh, where, where, oh, oh. Remember that time we had with Uncle Aiken? Gone. Whole family gone. Done. Did the kids do anything wrong? Did the wife do anything wrong? Did the animals do anything wrong? That's the further peril. Here's the final peril. The final peril is that even that thing that belonged to the Lord, the silver, the garment, and the wedge of gold, had to be burned up and destroyed in verse 24 because it's become accursed. Can I tell you this as we bring this thing to a halt? And you can thank the Lord for it. If you won't give God what belongs to Him, then just consider that the thing that is consecrated to the Lord becomes a curse. If the Lord wants you to give him your body and you won't give it to him, what does that mean? If the Lord wants you to give him your time and you won't, what does that mean? If the Lord wants you to give you your life, what does that mean if you won't do it? If you won't give God what belongs to him, then that thing that is consecrated to the Lord becomes a curse. Now, it can't become a curse in the sense of sending you to hell, but it sure keep you out of fellowship with Jesus Christ. Consider this, the Lord never even got the glory, the Lord never even got the use of what legitimately belonged to Him. Therefore, the Lord ensured it would never be used for anything if it would not be used for His glory. I don't know, I remember reading 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, that we were bought with a price. You know what that price was, right? Is the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christian, I want you to hear, I want you to hear this today. You have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And let me tell you what, if there's sin in the camp, pride will be the first thing that pops up. And then faithlessness pops up. And then all these problems. Just because one man had to have it right now. As we leave this grisly scene at the Valley of Acor, in my mind, I can still see the smoke rising from the burning. 
the gigantic pile of rocks identifying the place of the most horrific and public execution of an entire family. This didn't go on all the time. Not only were the 600, if you read your Bible, there's over a million people at that execution. In the valley of Achor, all the stuff is there. The babies are there. The oxen are there. The donkeys are there. The sheep are there. His house is there. His wife's there. Everything that belonged to him was all down there. And here's the thing. This is why I thank God you live in the New Testament. He confessed. But you know what he did? He waited till the very last minute. He waited till they got done pulling everybody out and, you know, drawing sticks and drawing straws and the lots cast here. And, oh, you got me. <laughs> I was wondering if you're going to catch on or not. See what I mean? And there's that grisly scene and all that family's down there. And a million Jews descend on that people. And all of a sudden, this barrage of flying rocks bashing their brains in, burying them with stones, and then they torch it. And not about you, but the smell of rotting flowers, burning flesh is pretty gross. And that smell starts coming through there, and I'm thinking to myself, there's more to that scenery than just Aiken's family going out. There's 36 families that can hardly see through the tears as they see justice carried out. 36 families of the men that were lost. And then the entire family of the Tsarites in absolute shock of what took place. You say what caused it? Just a little sin in the camp. You see what he did? He not only sinned, but then he covered it. And Christian, you won't fare well with the Lord if you cover your sin this morning. The Bible said, he that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but he that confesseth and forsaketh shall have mercy. Like Achan never got. Sin in the camp. As we come out of the valley of Achor there, you see a, over a million and a half Jews there, and that big gigantic pile of rocks, which history says was there until about 740 B.C., and every time they went by, they saw that pile of rocks. They knew exactly what took place. I wonder if there's sin in the camp. You say, boy, what a message to preach. Oh, what a message to live. Live your Christian life with just, just a little bit of sin. I can, I can kind of understand as a man, you know, things are hard to come by these days, aren't they? Sometimes, I don't know about you, I, don't, I never fill my Yukon with gas. It's too expensive. And there's a way to make some extra bucks there. And the Lord says, don't do it. But you know, Lord, sure would be a waste to let that go over there. It's a little bit of sin in the camp, and then you go ahead and hide it. Well, God's justice and judgment was upon sin that day. <clears throat> and we moved towards a new day. And all this could have been avoided if one man would not have decided to hide a sin. If one man hadn't decided to take what belonged to God. If one man had decided to hold out in his sin until the very end, but judgment came and it was too late for Achan and his entire family. But in closing, it's not too late for you. 
as we have someone come to the piano or the organ this morning, I want to invite you to come to this altar. You say, why? If I come to the altar, yeah, I know. Let's root up the sin that's in the camp before God's judgment appears and many be defiled thereby and becomes too late to change the mind of God. As she begins to play, I want to invite you. You say, that's ridiculous, preacher. Ain't no way I'd come to an altar. I'd come. Achan, he wouldn't come either. And Achan went out with a blaze, went out with a bang. His whole family went out, never to be heard of again unless it was a sermon illustration. Why not come? Why not root up the sin that's in the camp before God's judgment appears and many be defiled thereby? For it comes too late to change the mind of God.